Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Welcome to filmandtvreview.com. Catch the latest film, TV and streamed show reviews every week. The views and opinions expressed by the authors and those providing comments are theirs alone. They do not reflect the views, opinions or position of film and tvreview.com or their respective parent companies or affiliates. Film and tvreview.com makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information in this program and is for entertainment purposes only. Episodes may contain adult humor and language. For full terms and conditions see filmandtvreview.com. Hello and uh, welcome to another edition of Film and TV Review. Uh, this is uh, just a look back at what's happened in the last month or so. We're looking back at probably the BC's mostly in November that's happened and a bit before that, but it's been quite a busy release month. Uh, so we'll dig in, uh, we'll go straight in. But I'm joined by our regulars and they'll introduce themselves as we go on. But we'll start with, I think, a big release, a more recent one, is uh, Napoleon. That's the... Uh, Ridley Scott movie and uh, James and Richard, you yep. saw this release quite recently. What what did you what did you think? Um, uh, so yeah, um, so Napoleon. Uh, so uh, like I was saying before, I, uh, funny thing. So you picked the only French guy in this meetup to talk about Napoleon. Well done, Jason. Yeah. Um, so Napoleon, uh, where to start? So I'm going to try, because I know that some people here expect a rent. I would not uh, go for a rent. Uh, I would try to be uh, as clear as possible. So I can see that a lot of people are complaining about the uh, the fact that it is definitely not historically accurate. Uh, but actually, it's definitely a, a work of fiction. And I respect that. Uh, I kind of give up, gave up on the <laughs> on the, uh, the 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 real biopic after ten minutes into the movie because definitely, if you study a bit of history about Napoleon in uh, in French class, you do a lot actually. Definitely, there are things that are definitely invented by the writer, so that's fine. I'm not going to complain much about that. the The main problem, and I think we spoke about that on a by WhatsApp with uh, Alfonso, is um, the marketing campaign about this movie. 
the marketing campaign about this movie was definitely trying to sell this huge epic uh, biopic about Napoleon, uh, showing how a great general he was, how a great conqueror he was, uh, also how terrible dictator he was in a way, because he was an emperor, so let's face it, he was a dictator. And unfortunately, that's what he was sold. I was comparing it to, with uh, Alexander by Oliver Stone, like 15 or 16 years ago, that I actually enjoyed. And it's not what we've been given. So I don't know if they, it was uh, misleading uh, intentionally by uh, the studio or it was, I don't know, I don't know what happened. Because definitely this movie is about the personal life more than anything else about Napoleon, about his personal struggle and his personal relationship with uh, his first wife, Josephine. Um, that's fine, I guess. If you say properly, I guess that's fine to have a, 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 a movie like that. That being said, it's a bit boring to be at, at some point. Uh, not that actually I don't like romance movies, but in my opinion, there was not much chemistry between the two actors, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Vanessa Kirby. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is an amazing actor. He's a genius, that's for sure. But for me, he's one of his weakest performances in his career because he's like the one face all the time, whatever happens. He's on the battlefield, he's in his bedroom, doesn't matter, still the same face. Um, and yeah, and the part of the relationship with Josephine is literally at least 50% of the movie, and the movie is two hours and a half, so which is a long movie. Um, and yeah, and as I said, it, there's nothing much happening. The, the, the idea that Josephine is like the one thing that's made made him going i know again that it's a fiction but it it's ridiculous in my opinion um uh yeah and unfortunately i think that if you want to do it properly do a tv show do a mini series of six episodes do the time needed to actually to show both sides show actually his personal life which is interesting he had also nephews and family but he sends all these family members to rule different countries in europe when he was conquering europe for example that would be fun to see his nephew, who became later on after his death, um, actually uh, 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 an emperor himself in a way, uh, a few decades later. I mean, there was so much more that you could do if you want to develop his personal life. But don't don't uh, avoid talking about his uh, exploits, his uh, success and his defeats uh, on the battlefield. Because if you ask 95% of the people around this earth why do they? What is the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about Napoleon? I can guarantee that nine out of ten will talk about the general and the conqueror, etc. And only one out of ten, perhaps, will talk about Josephine. So, yeah, I think it would have been better to actually to do something a bit, yeah, a bit uh, complete and not uh, just 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 a part of his life, especially not. What happens in his bedrooms, which apparently is so important, but because who cares about what happens in his bedrooms and his sexual sexual life? I mean, it's the sexual. I mean, sometimes I wonder actually if this movie was supposed to be funny, uh, because it was almost hilarious. What in his personal life? Uh, I don't know exactly what what is the genre of this movie. I don't know. So yeah, that's the end of my uh, my opinion. Yeah, I did hear this was a, going to be an Apple six part series, and I think they're going to maybe. Um release it so i'm thinking if this was i think then maybe they wanted to rush the theatrical cut that maybe this is why it seems so disjointed from what i heard but um what did you feel james i mean you saw this as well recently what did you 
share well, Richard's opinion on it or I'm I'm trying now when I talk about films to sort of just go pros and cons, right? And I will say my pros list is a lot shorter than my cons list. So you can only be so fair to a film. Pros, I was actually um I was kind of impressed by the scale and the spectacle of the battle scenes. Although, as Richard says, it's not really about that. And they're not a massive amount of the movie. But when you do get those scenes, they are they are really kind of thrilling. They do look really good, I think. Um, I have to say, though, at the start, I wasn't kind of very convinced by the whole world. Everything, rather than feeling... I mean, we've had historical films this year. We've had Oppenheimer. We've had Killers of the Flower Moon. And they both feel like they transport you back in time to those places. A large portion of this, I was just thinking, I'm just watching Joaquin Phoenix in a silly hat. And I think if you are, I think Richard's right. If you asked nine out of 10 people, um, you know, nine out of 10 people would say that, that Napoleon, the conqueror, is what they think of. One out of ten might think of the relationship. I think if you asked Ridley Scott about Napoleon, he would just go, it's all about the hat. And there are, I do agree with Richard that, I mean, you weren't sure if this was a comedy. I, I'm i sort of not sure. I think that it unintentionally maybe became one in, in the middle. There is a line that, um, I'll, I'll WhatsApp it to you, Richard. I won't ruin it because I hate when people ruin like jokes, especially when there's one joke in the film. But there's a line that Joaquin Phoenix said that just made me burst out laughing. I wasn't like not everybody laughed, but it was so over the top when he he sort of aggressive to someone, and he kind of looks like Harry Enfield playing Napoleon in a French and Saunders sketch a lot of the time. I agree with Richard that it's he's a great actor, but this is not his best performance. There was a story that. I saw, and obviously, I don't know if this is true, that but that he had a bit of a, a crisis on set that he didn't know how to play this. And I think he just plays it as Joaquin Phoenix. It doesn't feel like a very consistent um, performance. I wasn't aware. Josephine was a lot older than him in real life. But obviously, because this is Hollywood, they wouldn't cast an older actress, you know, an actress older than, than um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix in the role because of, you know, the obvious sexism that we have in the world. But that kind of actually I think is a detriment because understanding that she was older suddenly makes more sense of, of that relationship. And although we said a bit, a bit, I think the biggest problem with this is it isn't really about, it hasn't got a focus. When you think of like Oppenheimer, it's very focused on two particular timelines, isn't it? Killers of the Flower Moon is particularly focused on um, these people that, that were sort of doing these murderous things and it's specifically focused on a couple of characters. This is obviously focused on Napoleon, but it's sort of all over the place. It's a bit about the war and it's it's kind of like, then he did this, then he did this, then he did this, then he did this. Um, and I don't feel those kind of biopics are, are really ever the best ones. Like at the end, I won't say exactly what it said, but it comes up with a title card at the end saying about certain things. And I... Although it's interesting, I thought, but that's not what the film's been about. And it's not like it's it's a thing that suddenly they're undermining what the film's been about. It's just like, oh, we need a title card at the end, so we'll just put this up. And you sort of realise it's been a mess. Go going back to a positive, so I'm going to kind of try and sandwich it a little bit. I mean, I may and maybe it's just because my expectations were on the floor. 
and I thought it's two and a half hours. I thought, why am I even going to see this? This is two and a half hours. I could go and do something else in my life. It didn't drag as much as I thought because, but I think that's almost like a good and a bad thing because I think it was like there's no focus and it kind of cut. It, it's like a film made for someone with no attention span. So it's like it it cuts very quick, which often longer films don't do. So as soon as you're doing one thing, you do another thing, then you do another thing. So my expectations were on the floor. It wasn't as bad as I thought, although to be honest, once it got to two hours, my I was not really paying much attention. And I will just leave it by saying as well, there's something really horrible that happens in the first 15 minutes of the film. And I sort of recoiled from the screen. And I was like, that's an alien Easter egg. <laughs> and he, and uh, when we come back, everyone, everyone afterwards went, Oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that, and I didn't think of it straight away. I was like, I think that's an alien with that, but it's not worth it's not worth it for that. Also, I will say it it made me think of House of Gucci, which was a Ridley Scott film, and you know everyone said that Jared Leto performance is absolutely ridiculous. The and it is, but actually, if you took that out, it would be a really more it would be a much more boring film. And I think this is almost like I mean, this is not. That it doesn't. I don't even know the facts. Richard will know them much more than me. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be historically accurate, which it, a film like this probably should be, and it should it should be made by a Frenchman as well. It shouldn't be made by an Englishman. But it, I mean, there's sort of in not taking itself seriously. It doesn't drag as much as as you would think. So I think if you're going to see it, see it maybe on the big screen for the spectacle of the battle scenes. But yeah, it's not going to be in my top ten films of the year. It is a plummet all around there. Well, um, it's still, I think it's the same writer who's going to go and bring us Gladiator 2 next year. So who knows? Great, you know, uh, it's kind of like set the standard for what to expect there. But I think, uh, I hopefully they will bring out the Apple six-hour miniseries, which I rumoured this is really uh, to be in its full form. But anyway, we'll see. Right, uh, okay, let's go on to another, another release which came a bit earlier in the month, and that was Disney's Marvel's, yeah, Marvel's basically, and this was quite a big, long gestating uh, project. Uh, Noel, you saw that, I saw that with you, and Richard, you saw this as well. Um, this is another nice parameter on what the state of Marvel movies or the MCU is right now. A lot of negative, I gotta say, going in, there was a lot of like negative word of mouth online, so I wasn't expecting much. But what did you think going in, Noel? You saw that, and I didn't really know what to think because whenever I hear negative things about these kinds of movies, whenever it's a woman, I never know if it's actual criticism or not. You never know what you're gonna get, so I kind of went in with okay. I'm going to think about this in the same way that I thought about all Marvel movies since um, Endgame came out, basically, which is I'm not going in with high expectations, but I'd like to be entertained. And I was. This far exceeded my expectations. It's in my top 10 movies now. Every issue I have with Marvel movies does not apply here, which I like. One of them being the pacing. I like that the pacing's faster here. The CGI, it didn't seem like it was terrible because sometimes Marvel movies, they unfortunately seem to rush their poor CGI, um, you know, uh, individuals. But I thought the film was quite good. It kept flowing very well. 
I think the musical scene was, I don't want to say unnecessary, but it was a bit much. But apart from that, it flowed very well. And it got to talking about kind of darker subject matter. You have these three superheroes and they have different, you know, wants and needs. And one of them wants to save everyone in a scene. And then is told that she can't because we can't save everyone. I wish they went more with that, some more serious elements. But a lot of people didn't like Brie Larson in the first movie. Um, and the other movies, but I think she's fine in all of them, especially with this one where we have the new actress who plays Miss Marvel because she's such a positive character and she helps bridge the gap between, you know, the more serious tone and then bringing some fun into it. And then um, the young girl, Monica, who's now an adult, I liked the character. I thought she was very good because she's very like, like a normal person, I would say, thrust into a superhero movie. And then uh, Miss Marvel's more like a Marvel fan in a Marvel movie. And then Captain Marvel's like any other character. So I think it was really good because it was different than some Marvel movies. And it didn't have a lot of the issues most Marvel movies have. But I was thoroughly entertained. Most of the time when I watch a Marvel movie, the last um, like third is not very good, even if the rest of the movie is quite good. And this was the exception to that, which I quite liked. I think this is the best movie to come out since the Spider-Man movie. So i give it a 7 out of 10. All right. Uh, Richard, uh, you saw this as well. What was your take on that? Uh, okay, uh, 7 out of 10. Uh, yep, yeah, actually, now I'm thinking, uh, is it generous or... Uh, yeah. Well, it's definitely... Uh, a, a good surprise. Uh, I will agree with that. It's actually that I was expecting uh, a, a disappointment, like every other Marvel movie and film <laughs> over the last two years. No, I'm exaggerating. Um, no, it was a decent movie. To be honest, even the first one was a decent movie. Uh, I, I don't care about all the things behind the scenes with Brie Larson, to be honest. I'm just trying to uh, watch a movie and make an opinion by myself. And like the first one, this one was also decent. It just has all the Marvel cliché that we already know, all the humor for no reason sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was all right. Um, I actually got a bit emotional even in the end, which is a good sign uh, because it means I was invested in this movie. There were a lot of things that for me were completely out of place. Well, not, maybe not a lot, but at least two big scenes that I don't understand why they were there, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was one scene that I see online that some people actually enjoyed, which is, I would not say more, but people will understand what I'm talking about, a scene with cats. Mm. And I really don't understand what people actually enjoyed. There are some people actually enjoyed that scene, I don't get it. Or I, I, I think it was completely stupid. But anyway, that's personal opinion. Um, and I like that the cat was in it more, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you see. Uh, and <laughs> also some kind of homage, I guess, uh -huh. to Hollywood. I don't know. I don't know if it was an homage to Bollywood or it was not intentional, but that's how I saw it. And I was thinking, okay, but if it's not an homage, it's just stupid. If it's an homage, yeah, meh. Uh, now that being said, as I said, overall, uh, I, I did enjoy the movie. I mean, the thing is, it is less than two hours and that's good. That's actually a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately, like all the Marvel movies or TV shows is that it's, you watch it, you forget about it. Mm -hmm. That's honestly, that, that's the saddest thing I can say about this Marvel universe now. Is that actually that it doesn't stick in your mind anymore. Yeah. It, it is no, I, I can't even name one big scene that I want to rewatch on YouTube when it's going to be on YouTube next month. I don't yeah. care. I just 
enjoyed and I went Spotify in my life and that's it. Now I can move on. And I think that the fact that I don't care, and probably a lot of people don't care because the box office numbers, we can talk about it, is one of the worst in history of superhero movies, if not the worst. Um, it is showing also that not only as the people don't care, but also I'm guessing sometimes I wonder actually if people behind the cameras uh, care about the Marvel movies anymore. Um, oh, I think part of the box office issue, I haven't seen an advertisement anywhere, right? And we true. live in London, so there's like billboards and, and such everywhere. Never saw an advert. I had no idea why. I hadn't seen a lack of advertising like this since like Andor. So true. I think that's a big part of it. And of course, the preconceived notions. I think maybe if they lent more on someone returning who everyone loved, that would work. Um, but that like, being said, Marvel was great. I, th I think Disney kind of... Uh, destroyed this movie before its release uh they, they released that movie on the same day of the loki finale mm, which is yeah. a big mistake and it proves actually that they don't care as i'm saying they don't care about this this movie loki finale was by the way amazing but i don't know mm -hmm. if we're gonna have time maybe not but on this meetup but maybe one other one but it was pretty great to be honest the finale not the show but the finale was great and i think everybody was talking about it on social media before and after and that's yeah. kind of kind of hides the marvels i guess yeah. um right. but and also now even i heard also that uh what's the name dacosta the name of the director the directress mm -hmm. uh, was actually involved in another project already and kind of not left the project in the middle but almost actually wasn't part of the of the, the promotion of the movie and i know there's a lot of signs that prove in my opinion that disney and marvel kind of as I didn't care about the Marvels and say, okay, we have to release that thing. Let's release it as soon as possible. We know we're going to lose money. So now it's over already. So let's do it. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit sad because as I said there's a lot of potential in that movie. Mm -hmm. I think that Brie Larson is not that bad in that character. I don't, again, I don't care about all the things in, behind the scenes. I think as a character, she's all right. I think that the girl who plays Mrs. Marvel is actually a very funny character. Uh, I mean, she plays it very naturally. That's great. Yeah. She's like I us. She's enjoying oh. being in the superhero world. The, the TV show was actually decent as well. Um, I like that she actually looks like a teenager as well, which helps. Exactly. Because half the of, time, I'm like, you know, yeah, she's oh, quite, 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 she actually passes yeah. yeah. But I think and, Disney yeah, has not cared think... about a lot of their releases. Same with Dial yeah. of Destiny. They just like chop everything up and then say, here you go. Very that's a bit, uh, that's a bit unfair to the people actually, because I think she cares. This actress, for example, this young actress cares about what she's doing. And uh, I'm afraid actually that she's kind of destroying her own career by, uh, well, let's say actually, well, not the end. I mean, she's only like 16 or 17 years old, I guess. So it's not the end, but yeah. Mm. Uh, and to be fair, uh, last thing, and then I, I gave up and I will see Andrew wants to talk. Uh, yeah. It's a bit sad, but in the end, uh, the only, or maybe the most, um, talked about thing in this movie is uh, the post-credit scene. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's actually a bad sign. When you have a, when everybody's focusing on the post-credit scene, you think, okay, that's definitely wrong. There is something that, I, that nobody cared about for two hours. So yeah, that's something wrong. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's my point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Andrew, did you just jump in on this? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot because you said a bunch of things, uh, I guess both of you and just trying to take it all in. 
Uh, I'll just start with uh, put one relatively. Uh, I guess it was uh, Noel who kind of mentioned about the film not really doing as much with marketing. And part of the reason, and you can go into a whole other thing about this, so I won't, but that was maybe not intentional in Disney's part. Well, maybe it kind of was if you think about it, but it's because of the actors' strike. When actors aren't oh, strike, yeah. they don't promote struck work. And the actors' strike literally didn't end until the film uh, release date which meant that Disney had to rush the actors out to different locations at the last moment to just promote the film as much as possible. Iman Balani, I guess the actor's name of this Marvel, uh, did a surprise appearance at the El Capitan uh, Cinema mm -hmm. in Hollywood, greeted fans. Uh, Brie Larson appeared on chat shows. And just, again, this was all done really, really last minute. Mm -hmm. And when you promote a film like this, you have to send the actors out weeks yeah. and weeks in advance not last minute, but actor no, strike. No, that, that makes sense. I forgot about the actor strike, so thank you for bringing that up. But having said that, I've been thinking back to, um, I guess maybe one of the last times we spoke, and I mentioned something, and you're talking about something on Marvel, and I mentioned like, oh yeah, this was addressed on uh, Miss Marvel series, and it was like, but no one watched Miss Marvel series. Yeah. And I was the only one who watched it. It's like, no, I wasn't the only one who watched the Miss Marvel series. And I'm like, how could none of you have watched the Miss Marvel series? It was a pretty important canonically or was meant to be. And mm -hmm. then I realized something. Um, and that is, um, and this applies only to the U.S. where a lot of these things come from. But in the U.S., and there's a point to this, so I'll get to it. Uh, Disney Plus is different than mm -hmm. it is outside the US. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, there's no star. Yes. So yeah. if you think like a group like this and the demographics like this, you know, a lot of you probably watch Disney Plus. Yeah, you watch Star Wars and Marvel, but you also watch the star content. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have the star content, would you still get Disney Plus? I was about to leave it before I came here. <laughs> yeah, so in the US, because there's no star, the people who get Disney Plus are people who have kids or adults who want to watch, for lack of a better way to put it, stereotypical Disney content. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how else to describe it, like, you know, animated or the Disney classics, whatever you want to mm -hmm. classify Disney classic, those types of films. Uh, I mean, yeah, you have people watch the Star Wars and the Marvel content, but it's not something where, like, oh, I'm going to get Disney Plus just so I can get that and pay whatever money a month for this subscription. So because it's not something, I mean, still a lot of people that get it because you have people with kids, that's a lot of people. And I guess Disney adults or people watch the stereotypical content, again, don't know what else to call it. That's still a lot of people, but there's still a lot of people that don't get it because there's no, you know, not like a group like this where, you know, people... Again, I don't want to presume certain things, but people of a certain age who don't have kids, they probably wouldn't think to get Disney Plus in the U.S. So because of those reasons, they uh, wouldn't have had the opportunity to see Disney Plus originals. And that doesn't just apply to Miss Marvel or even Marvel series in general. It just applies to anything that's original Disney Plus. They wouldn't get the streaming service. Uh, maybe they would get Netflix or Amazon. Uh, this is the U.S., so they get Hulu, which is also owned by Disney. But they wouldn't necessarily think to get Disney+. Plus. 
Having said that, the irony is, I'll just try to be quick about this, Miss Marvel is probably the one series they might have had the opportunity to see. And the reason is, is because of the, again, the actors and the writer's strikes putting a pause on new content for broadcast television in the U.S. And there'd be less content. And so one of those networks is owned by Disney. That's ABC. And so as a way to have content for their uh, network that they own over the air, ABC, and also as a way to promote something during the actor's strike, they actually aired Miss Marvel on ABC uh, back in August. Uh, so if anything, that's probably the one series that people might have had the opportunity to see, even if they didn't get Disney Plus, because they'd be like, well, I don't get Disney Plus. I don't even do streaming in general. Some people do that. But I would have been able to watch this one program because it's on ABC. And that's something people would get. <sighs> now that I've said all that, as for my own thoughts about the film, uh, I wasn't really that crazy about it. I, I, I did like Miss Marvel. Uh, I did have some issues with, I'm talking about Miss Marvel, the series, not necessarily the character. I did like the Miss Marvel series. Uh, I did have some issues with the series that was similar to problems I had with the other Disney plus Marvel, you know, that it felt things were getting rushed along a little too much. Uh, they didn't stick the landing, I guess it's to use a phrase uh, for the final episode of the series, but I thought it was overall pretty all right. Uh, addressed some real world issues, but also some, you know, some fun Marvel stuff. Uh, but the movie I just found like is very haphazard and it took me a while to get into it because it's like, okay, now they're rushing this, and they're rushing that. And then it's like, okay, they're teleporting over here. Then they're teleporting over here and here and here. And then I'm like, I can't even tell what's going on. Uh, and then finally, midway through when things slowed down, I like the interplay between the three main characters, you know, Brie Larson, uh, Mon uh, Vlani, I guess uh, the actress who plays Monica Rambeau. Can't remember. Uh, uh, I can't remember her name. Some to my head. Pyrus. Uh, yes, because I've seen her in other stuff too. Uh, she's good. Um, so all three of them were good. I just kind of felt like the first half just kind of felt very rushed. They were kind of rushing from scene to scene. It was very hard to follow. And I can only imagine people who didn't watch Miss Marvel or any of this other stuff. They'd be completely lost. Uh, as for the musical planet. I thought it was kind of cute. Um, I mean, Brie Larson is a singer in real life. We've seen some of her other stuff. So it's kind of a cast show off kind of thing because they wanted to show off her singing talents. Makes me think of another thing she did recently, but that's. Uh, but uh, as far as the other parts of the film, uh, I mean, uh, the miss the post credit scenes, I thought were okay. They were, they were, I guess two of them. Um, well, actually, no. One one mid-credit scene and then one scene at the end, which kind of sets up for. Uh, I don't know if I want to do spoilers, but it sets they set up for other things, and I just kind of get worried that you know uh, they maybe won't get around to doing those other things because of this film's poor box office uh, performance. So, um, I mean, there's other thoughts I have on this film, uh, but. Overall, I just wasn't really that crazy about it. 
I, I did like the actors. I thought they did a decent job given the circumstances. Uh, but I'm kind of wondering, you know, some of the strengths of Marvel, you know, will they be addressed? I know because of the, again, the labor strikes, there's not as much MCU content next year. Uh, it's being pushed back to next year. There is other Marvel content from Sony and non-MCU stuff on Disney+. Plus. But um, as a little side note, uh, in the U.S. right now, we have uh, Dancing with the Stars, which is the uh, U.S. equivalent of uh, Strictly Come Dancing, a dancing reality show uh, competition. And one of the competitors is Sochal Gomez, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, the America Chavez actress. So she's doing well in that reality competition, but I'm like wondering what's happening to her character because regardless of what you thought of her performance in the Doctor Strange sequel, I would have liked to see more with that character. And they were supposed to do more with that character, but the pandemic kind of screwed everything up in terms of uh, release day schedules, which brings me to, I guess, I guess it'll be my final point. I know other people want to say stuff is that the reason that Disney and Marvel are doing things the way they are, is they kind of have to release things in a certain order in terms of the continuity. And so I guess it makes me in a weird way, nostalgic for the 2000 teens when there was that split between Marvel studios and Marvel entertainment which wasn't really a good thing in some ways because people will watch these things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and wonder, you know, when would they address these things? And they were never were going to because of the split in real life. Um, but people don't want to do stuff if they have to do a lot of homework. Um, I mean, it's a lot to just talk about, you know, something like The Boys and do people have to watch Gen B to watch season four of The Boys? I think they kind of do. But that's fine. That's just two shows. Imagine if you have to watch all these other series on Disney Plus and then watch the movies. There's enough to watch all the movies in the earlier phases. If you watch Asians of Shield, if you watch the former Netflix shows like The Defenders and all that, Cloak and Dagger, uh, Marvel's Runaways, all those. I watched all those. They were great. Well, some better than others, but if they never got addressed in the films, fine. And I still could just enjoy them, but people didn't feel obligated to watch them. So um, I think it's just a lot to make people watch stuff or go out of the way to watch stuff and get the streaming service that they're not going to want to get otherwise. And how about the other streaming services like Netflix? It's, it's just a lot of extra homework. So it does feel, I mean, like, I mean, sure, the, I, I, the film was actually quite fun, actually. I got no, nothing against that film. It's pretty good. But. Um, it is a bit, I think Marvel now is a bit of a victim of its own success when you've got so much of a backlog to get on where people just don't want to do the homework, as you say, and they're not going to. So, I'm like, one bad film tends to sink well. It, it's that brand name, Marvel. You get a bad film, I'm not going to see the next Marvel. And I think it's been reflected by the poor box office in the, this movie. Um, no fault of that movie itself. I think the leads are great, especially the youngest Marvel. She's quite, quite a highlight star in it, but. I don't think it matters anymore, unfortunately. So maybe it's time how it has come. Right, thanks. Uh, well, another long-standing IP media we were well resurfaced, and that was uh, the Hunger Games prequel. That was the Ballad of Songs and Snakes. Um, so, who rushed to the cinema to go see this? I think uh, 
Richard, you did. Uh, James, Alfonso, did you, uh, what did you, uh, you got your hot ticket in your hands and you sat down and what did you think? What, what, uh, has it, everything it promised to be? It was, I, I had heard that it was better than expected and it was when I saw it. It was a nice prequel to the main franchise, like the adventures of Jon Snow, if you will. Um, and Lucy Gray, <laughs> never call her Lucy, always Lucy Gray. Um, yeah, I like the, the political themes. It had good political themes. It had good action with the Hunger Games, um, uh, with less technology, but still a lot of action and a lot of deaths. Um, and uh, there, there was it was interestingly structured because the Hunger Games were not at the end of the film, but more like the middle. And it, and I, and I thought it was. And when when we left the Hunger Games, it was like, now what? <laughs> what is gonna happen? Uh, but yeah, I, I, it was a solid movie outside of any franchise let's say it could be a, it's a it's kind of a standalone it could be a completely a standalone film by itself and work perfectly fine and it kind of does you don't need to have watched anything of the of, of the other movies to really enjoy this film and the actors i mean you have viola davis you have peter dinklage you probably well, Jason Schwartzman was also quite enjoyable. <laughs> he, he kind of relished his character. And Viola Davis, she, she was really having a good time <laughs> in, that, in that role of the body of the film. Biggest body, I guess. I also, I also enjoyed both uh, Tom Bleeth and Rachel Segler as, as the main characters the, of the young people. Snow and Lucy Gray, and uh, and I, mm, I think that maybe my standout among the young cast was uh, Joe's and I think it's Joe's Andres Rivera. This guy who was also, for example, in the the Steven Spielberg West Side Story, and is going to be playing in the new American crime series that is one of these. Um, you know, like the one about there was one about O.J. Simpson. It's called O.J. Simpson. Um, uh, well, there there is a new one about a, a crime uh, with two two main uh, young actors playing the the main roles, and it's just Andres Rivera and Patrick Schwarzenegger, the the son of of the Arnold. And I think that it's going to be also interesting. It's, I think it's Aaron Hernandez, and he's playing just under playing Aaron, Aaron Hernandez. Well, anyway, I, I'm I'm diverging from the main thing. So, um, yeah, yeah, really like a solid film, and it's and it's showing at the U.S. box office. It's um, the, the the Disney film, The Wish, has been a letdown. And and meanwhile, the Hunger Games is, let's say, overperforming or staying at number one. So it shows that when you do quality, it wins the day. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, uh, I kind of agree with most of the things that uh, Alfonso said. Uh, uh, the idea, uh, but actually, uh, it was a nice surprise. Um, the original movies, let's say, I enjoyed a lot. The first one back then kind of was disappointed by uh, the sequels more and more, actually. Uh, and that movie, yeah, that movie was a good surprise. I mean, what I mean is that, uh, except for a few dialogues, which is a bit were a bit stupid, uh, it wasn't trying too much to do some fan service, and it was trying, in my opinion, to be its own movie, which is a good thing. Um, I thought that. The chemistry again. Talk about what chemistry again. About the two main actors were was pretty good, and that guy who plays uh, what what is his name? You, you said Jon Snow, Alfonso. I, mean, I think uh, it's Pretty great, to be honest. Um, I, I, again, we're gonna try to avoid spoilers, uh, although we know who is gonna be ending and who's gonna be. I mean, in the end, it's gonna be a villain, obviously. Uh, but the third part, Apoto was mentioning that that actually the Hunger Games, the games themselves, are in the middle of the movie, and the third part was for me almost a different movie, uh, and it was maybe the best part of the of the thing, uh, kind of a. Psychological, almost a uh, 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 thriller. Maybe it's a strong word, but almost. And I really like that part. Uh, I also liked what Alfonso was saying about the fact that it's the whole first two parts about the Hunger Games themselves, and it it felt a little dirty in a good way, like the first movie, uh, uh, in a way that actually it was showing uh, the first two parts was showing the. The, 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 how rough it is, how difficult it is to live in a society where you have nothing, literally, and it's a post-war, uh, there are post-war scenes. Even the introduction, I think about it, the first scene was actually surprisingly good and surprisingly uh, for a grown-up audience, in my opinion. And it was very, it, it, it was a good sign already, showing actually how difficult it is to live, as I said, in a dictatorship or kind of the beginning of dictatorship after a war and a revolution and actually that failed and the, but yeah all these things were interesting uh the first movie was a bit similar in my opinion showing actually how it is to live in a poor society where only of the one percent owns everything and so yeah these parts that were missing maybe in the sequels back in the day because they were focusing so much in the sequels in my opinion on the teenagers love stories and things like that unfortunately in that case there is definitely romance involved i'm not saying that but fortunately they managed to balance it out and have everything uh, come together in a good way so yeah very good surprise this movie 
And I really, really hope, like Alfonso was saying, that it will remain a standalone movie, to be honest. Um, yeah. But if it's done well in the box office, uh, probably not. You'll probably get oh, a no, please, please, no, please, well, no. no. I think, though, no, the thing is with this, because I had the same concern. I was like, do I really need to see another three? Because everything's got to be a trilogy. And sorry, guys, I do blame Star Wars for that. Everything's got to be a trilogy. Um, but when once you get to the end of this, I mean, I'm thinking now, is there a way? But it it kind of, there, I don't think there is another story to tell. I mean, if they do, they can choose to do it, and I don't think it will be very good. But I think it really does work as a, as a one-off prequel. It's quite long, actually. I've just realised it's probably longer than Napoleon. But I think they, the one that... I would need to revisit all of them, I think, all of the original Hunger Games to kind of refresh my memory. I remember really liking the first one. They did that thing with Mockingjay, which was the third book where, and I blame Harry Potter for this, where they had to split everything into two films, didn't they? So the last book, you split it into two films. Um, and I think the director has since said that that was a mistake. They should have just released Mockingjay's one longer film. And I think there was a discussion about this, but it would have been weird because i don't know where you would have made that split like uh, i think alfonso said the hunger games is in the middle so you'd either have you'd have no hunger games in one film or the other so it would it wouldn't really work just cutting it in two and i think i'm I'm trying now not to complain about lengths of of films much as i didn't like avatar 2 i saw something from james cameron where he said people will complain about a long film but they'll sit and binge a, a series on the sofa for five hours that's very true and actually if a film's good i don't care about the length the only time that i'm complaining about the length is when the film isn't a very good film so uh, with this i think everything richard said it it takes place in a very gritty world i think because it's a known quantity now as the bbfc call it um they can get away with quite a lot of violence at a pg-13 certificate and the way they often do this is by cutting away on impact but the actual things that you're are being depicted are still very brutal and very um but but they're part of that world it's a it's a brutal world but it feels like we're more back in in the past everything's a bit more primitive a bit more dirty rachel zagler i've only really seen her i think in west side story i think she's a really good choice for this because obviously if you remember jennifer lawrence's character in the originals um, sung these songs and Jennifer Lawrence herself said that she's not a singer and she doesn't like having to do that stuff in other films she's had to do that as well but here we've got someone who is a singer and so she's depicted at like um, these sort of nights where she's a country singer and she's quite aggressive with the locals who are getting boozy and throwing things on stage um, and yeah I just thought it was it was um, a, a pleasant surprise because I didn't really have much expectation of this at all but um, yeah it, and I think unlike the Marvels, which I was somewhere in the middle, there was good good and bad things about that film. But seeing this after the Marvels, I suddenly realised the Marvels isn't really about anything. And it probably should have been about meeting your idols or something with um, Ms. Marvel. Uh, you know, I think that Kamala Khan, that would have been the way to sort of make the film about that. You know, the original Captain Marvel is about someone trying to figure out who they are because they've lost their memory and things like that. And and Ms. Marvel, which I did watch, was, um, you know, sort of about a, sort of a coming-of-age story of a, a young thing. But that this, I mean, this is about stuff, I think, The Hunger Games. It's about, you know, it's about society and 
politics and love and revenge and it's got a lot of things going on in it so yeah, yeah it, was, it was entertaining totally there's right. some good good fun battle scenes in it as well so i think you're totally right richard when you said the marbles wasn't about anything and that was that was what i missed in that film like it felt like just adventures and hijinks of three characters but it I didn't feel like there was anything meaty to grab yeah. I think you need the, a bit of that, don't you? Because even like, although I keep, I kept saying I think it's it's better than the recent editions. I keep forgetting that we have had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and I mean that's a Marvel film about vivisection. That's a hell of a thing to make your Marvel film about, um, and it does it, you know. And I think you know, of course, the universe was very good as well, and that's about stuff. But yeah, I think, I mean, it was fun, fun the Marvels, but you do need need to have it be about something i think to make it worth what to make that the thing whoever i can't remember sorry who said it but it might have been richard that if you forget a film i think that's when it's not about anything so films that stick with you because they're about something um, but it depends what sort of film you're making i suppose but i thought this was this was sort of about stuff and it was a fun blockbuster at the same time so it sort of proves that you can do both those things and who knows you can have a standalone film without having three sequels Let's see next year if that's still the case. Heresy, heresy. Um, well, yes. Well, from that, um, as I think, I think audiences' tastes are slowly beginning to change of this whole era of um, superheroes, and they do want films about something. Um, and we've had a bit of those actually this year. Um, one of them uh, is Martin Scorsese's teaming up with Leonardo DiCaprio, and that's Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, who saw that, uh, James and Andrew? What did you both think? A, a true life depiction, obviously, of an event, I think. Loosely. Yeah, so the story of the Osage murders in the 1920s, um, a story that I knew nothing about. And it seems that a lot of people didn't know anything about. So it's good to have shone a light on, on this story. Um, yeah, I, I sort of didn't know to be honest from the trailer as well i thought this might be like a revenge story there's a certain line and i think maybe this maybe there was deliberate misdirection in the trailer i'm not sure but it's the story of um leonardo dicaprio he's back from war in the 1920s goes to stay with his uncle and um the Osage people who who live in a sort of area of the US where they were the richest people on earth because of oil that was discovered there at the time. Um, The sort of richest people per capita, I think it says at the start. Um, And um, basically, Leonardo DiCaprio says he wants to marry for money, which people did a a long time ago. People still do. Um, He's back from war and he's sort of a very poor person. He married, he sort of pursues Lily Gladstone's character who is um a sage woman who is very wealthy he's her driver and sort of thinking where to stop with the plot spoilers on this but um yeah so he they they get married and they're quite happy but it sort of turns out that he is a um he mugs people for money i think that's it sort of starts from that and we think oh well he's not very and then more and more things start to be discovered as as you go on um the, the attention to detail in the film, the, the sort of world that it takes you back into, um, it does really feel like being transported. Um, 
sadly, the rest of you aren't time travellers. So you don't know what it's like to travel in time. Me and Jason do, and we're going to talk about Doctor Who later. Um, but sometimes films like this, the nearest you can get is sort of seeing this world depicted. And it really does feel like everything is 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 like being taken back 100 years. The score, I can't remember the name of the guy who did the score, but I think it's a very good score. And he he passed away before the film was released. I think he's probably going to be a shoo-in for best score at the Oscars next year. Um, cinematography is wonderful. Again, with the time on this, it's three hours 20 and it didn't feel like that to me. And I even went to see it twice, actually, at cinema. Um, and it really does take you into this sort of very uneasy world. I never really used to get Martin Scorsese as a director when I was younger because I always used to think, well, I don't like these people. I just don't like these people. So why would I want to watch them in a film for two hours, let alone three and a half hours? But, I mean, now if we say toxic masculinity <laughs> in 2023, everybody knows what that is. Everybody knows what to toxic masculinity is. There wasn't a word for that when I was growing up. There wasn't a phrase. And really, everything that Scorsese portrays in his films, he is portraying toxic masculinity and saying this is a bad, bad thing. I think if you were... If this film was perhaps made by Tarantino, I think Tarantino always thinks his characters are cool. I don't think you're ever meant to feel that in a Scorsese film. Because I did afterwards have this moment where I was like, well, maybe they should have focused more on other characters. And I, I completely see where people are coming from on that. And I think that film should probably be made. It probably There probably should be another version of this story made by an Asage director and, you know, sort of focusing more on other characters. But this is very much about Leonardo DiCaprio's very weak man who cannot stand up to his very evil uncle. And that that ultimately leads to his undoing and to these terrible things that, that happen around him. Um, and, and, that, and that's always been the case. I mean, nobody, if you know, like the film Ta Tra Taxi Driver, nobody wants to spend some time with Travis Bickle, do they? But there, there is a series called Voir produced by David Fincher and it's on Netflix and it's like 20 minute video essays. And the third episode I think is called But I Don't Like Him. And it's a film critic talking about Lawrence of Arabia, which I haven't seen and I would like to get around to watching on Netflix. So, and he keeps appraising the film saying how amazing it is and how amazing the lead performance is and then saying, but I don't like him about the lead character and sort of arguing that it's important to have. Well, I think we're so used to seeing cinema as um, a sort of aspirational thing. We're so used to seeing heroes, superheroes, and sort of the um, the hero's journey, and that's an important part of cinema. You know, it's all about balance. But he argues that it's very important to have this other side of sort of seeing very evil and flawed characters and trying to work out this, some of the psychology around that, maybe. Um, and I think this film, yeah, it really does that really well. But, um, I don't know if it's a spoiler to say Brendan Fraser's in it. He's Brendan Fraser's in it. He, he's got a little cameo towards the end. Um, and I won't say what that is, but I think the scenes that he is in, there was some stuff online about had he had he pitched his performance wrong. I didn't think that at all. I think it works perfectly for what that character turns out to be. I think Lily Gladstone, I mean, I think Greta Lee probably should get the Best Actress Award at the Oscars next year for Past Lives because it's an amazing performance. But nobody really knows who she is and that's not how the Oscars work. Um, 
I mean, you could say that maybe about Lily Gladstone, but I think maybe Lily Gladstone will get this, and I would be very happy if she did. I, I've seen some very odd things online where people are sort of saying that she's un very underwritten, but she should definitely get the Best Actress Award, which sort of seems like a... I sort of get where they're coming from, but that sort of like seems to be taken away from her performance. I think it's a very good performance. Um, and I've seen people as well criticize again someone said to me i've not seen the film but i've heard this and i was like well maybe you should watch the film because i think the way that the relationship between leonardo dicaprio and lily gladstone is portrayed it's particularly on you've got to feel that betrayal with her of what this guy is doing i think if if that was well why can't she see what that guy is doing you know he seems to be this really nice guy and i think he's almost convinced himself he is but as the film goes on, he does more and more terrible things and they get worse and worse and worse to a point where you suddenly go, "There's no, you've got no moral high ground left, mate. You've got nothing, no redeeming factor. It just all crumbles away by the end of the film. Um, I was really surprised. I was not expecting this to be one of my favourite films of the year. It's not in my top five. It probably is going to be in my top ten of the year. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Someone's going to say I hate it now. That's fine. Different opinions are available. Okay. Uh, Richard, you liked, hated, loved this one? Well, I'm going to be quick. You know? I, 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 I think uh, it, was, uh, it was a very good movie, but I think that, uh, uh, I think I joked about it when, after watching it, but uh, Martin Scorsese should learn how to do two-hour movies uh, again, because I don't know why he needs to do this marathon of three and a half or four hour long movies. I mean, I, this story could have been told in a shorter time and also in a different way. And that, that it doesn't take anything from the movie. I think, yeah, the direction is amazing. The cinematography is amazing. The acting James was mentioning from the main um, female actress, the main uh, male actress, actor. Well done. Yeah. But still, I, honestly, I felt the three hours and a half, to be honest. I felt it. Because the, for me, the pacing, actually not in the second and third part, but I remember actually the first part, I thought the kind of introduction, let's say, of the words and the, and the, uh, of the different characters, I think it took a very, very long time. And I was thinking, okay, where are we going here? And then when it starts actually to, um, when you understand that you, what, kind of person character DiCaprio is playing and when you understand the whole thing behind the killings etc then yeah it kind of becomes I guess more interesting oh but yeah I, I yeah I'm sorry but yeah the pacing wasn't that great in my opinion uh it can be a masterpiece technically but still I think it's important actually that uh, you actually get your audience invested from the moment when we start until the moment it ends. Uh, and that's a problem. I mean, remember the, what was the name of the four hour long movie on Netflix that he, The Irishman, The Irishman. That was awful. I mean, it, it's an amazing I, movie. I didn't like The Irishman. But it was so long. I mean, I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's, yeah, it's a, it's a problem. It's a, it's a real problem. And uh, I understand that he wants to tell, um, maybe it's also because he was trying to, be respectful to the story and save everything, etc. But yeah, he, I think yeah, it's a it's not a good job in that on that part. Overall, but doesn't take anything from 
what James was saying. Um, it's right. Different opinions are available. Um, yeah, I kind of like well, not a fan of the Irishman as well. So, uh, but uh, uh, but thanks to Netflix actually, who kind of put the money up for the Irishman, and probably I'm guessing for this as well. So this is how we, we can't get. This is Apple TV. Do you know what I've only just thought of that? And and the Irishman sort of come out during the pandemic, so it didn't get. A pro- I mean, it obviously got released in a couple of theaters to make it eligible for the Oscars and that stuff. But it didn't have a wide release. I think it, like Apple TV, do the forty-five day window like Disney do now, and it has done. I mean, it is a three-hour twenty movie as well, so not it's not everyone's going to want to go and watch it. And controversially, in the UK, um, View Cinemas were playing it with well, not controversially in my opinion. I think it's perfectly sensible, but they were putting in a um, an interval, ten-minute interval, so people could go to the loo in the middle. And when this come out the distributor in the uk said well that's actually not part of the deal you shouldn't be doing that and i do wonder where that would sit i mean leonardo dicaprio reads books in this film i think what they should have done is have a bit where he goes i'm just gonna sit and read a book and he reads a book for 10 minutes and it comes up going you can go to the loo now and has like a countdown so if you (laughs) want to stay in the film you can like a little bit like an adventure game right but um, it's continued. It's still showing at my cinema. I think this 45-day window's up, so it's on Apple TV now. But I think over, not in the US, but overseas, it's kind of outperformed what they were expecting. But I also think with Cost of Living, people like a long movie because it's value for money. I, think that's, I genuinely think that's part of it now. I think we've been moving to this event cinema. Like they choose one or two big events that they go to, and then that's it. They don't go see anything else. I guess we had Oppenheimer and Barbie. And then I think I think people are looking for the mood for a big, nice winter movie, but maybe uh, not so. Or maybe Napoleon should have been it, but who knows? But maybe we've got something no, to come. Okay. No one has told, uh, spoken about the um, this kind of um, pers- the, the the thing about the perspective of the uh, native people that were murdered. That it, it seems like a, it's a movie that is too much from Leonardo's perspective right like it doesn't yeah that's a very good point it's it's uh and it's also you kind of feel i mean i felt all the time like these guys the 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 indians the native americans were a little bit aloof naive like they didn't get at all what was happening and and I, i was all the time wondering was it really like that it was it did they really not get it? I, to me, it was like a horror movie. Like I was, I was, it was so clear to me. Maybe because I don't know, because I was watching it from the outside. But it was so clear, and it felt like they were these like uh, pure beings that are being killed, and and I don't know. It felt like like I was missing a little bit their perspective on the whole thing. And it and it was like represented by the by the the character of the wife, like she always had this look like I know it all, I know the universe, I know what it's happening, and then acted like she knew everything about Leo, about Leonardo DiCaprio, about everything about his persona. Anyhow. Oh, okay, yeah, no, that's a good point actually. Um, I'm here a lot of the. I was expecting a bit more. It was supposed to be as their story, so I was expecting a lot of that. But but I'm from the periphery of the marketing. But 
as you say, it's all buzzwords on who was in it and the names, I suppose, but that's how you sell a movie, I guess. Right. Um, Andrew, have you got your hand up? Yeah, uh, I guess I just want to backtrack. I guess something that James and maybe some other people were talking about in terms of like, uh, well, first I want to mention that uh, in terms of the release strategy, I think initially Apple wanted to do this in sort of like a more limited release, at least within the US, and then have it go to streaming not long afterwards, whatever. But then what actually happened is because, again, the actors strike, and what was supposed to happen was the Dune sequel or Dune 2, whatever, was supposed to come out October 20th. But because, again, actors can't promote struck work, all that stuff, uh, the studio pushed it back to next year. Uh, again, Dune 2 was finished, but they just wanted the actors to be able to promote that film. So they pushed it back to the spring. And so that meant October 20th was suddenly open. And particular IMAX cinemas, at least in the US, were open. You know, they were like, you know, what are we going to be showing now? So that allowed Apple to use this as an opportunity to release this uh, in wide release, at least in the US, and not just like limited and streaming. So that was actually to, to their benefit to have them do that and take advantage of this open slot in the release date calendar that wasn't really there before. I mean, they were going to release this film anyway, but not to the extent that, that they would wound up doing. Um, as far as terms of the film itself, um, because it's been a while, I've seen some Oscar Beatty films since then. Um, so thinking back, uh, I mean, I, I thought it was a decent film. Uh, I wasn't finding it too long. I do feel that they were focusing on certain things that weren't addressed in the film as much like the, you know, who's killing these other indigenous uh, you know, members of the Osage tribe. Uh, they were focusing on like, you know, certain people, but yeah, there's some other people you see like getting killed on screen. And then you're like, but who, you know, who's behind those killings and maybe they dressed a little bit, but I felt like there was a lot more that they could have uh, addressed that they showed on screen. Uh, and then they also mentioned the uh, Tulsa race riots on top of that, uh, you know, going on uh, in the city of Tulsa in Oklahoma, where uh, a number of African-Americans were killed there. And that's something that's mentioned very briefly in the film. So it seemed like they were trying to tackle a whole bunch of other things, as well as focusing on the story of uh, Robert, you know, of, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and his uncle played by Robert De Niro and their story um you know and then made me think about the whole you know wolf and sheep's clothing type thing without going too much into detail for that you haven't seen the film but i thought it was all right decent film uh there were some name actors who didn't get a whole lot of screen time i mean mentioned ben frazier i knew he was going to be in the film but you know that's just something they mentioned the marketing like the marketing materials it's a very small scene also, uh, Jesse Clemens, who appears later in the film, um, and when he shows up, he becomes more prominent, but he doesn't show up until like well late in the film. As, you know, it's three hours long. So, um, so it's a good cast, um, but it's a lot to take in because there's a lot of material, a lot of history there. 
not just about towards the Native American community, but against other groups and in terms of the oil and getting access to it. There's a, because that's what's driving the whole plot of the movie is uh, having access to uh, these uh, oil wells in Oklahoma, in the U.S. state of Oklahoma. So it's definitely a lot to take in, but uh, I, again, I, I thought it was a decent film. Um, I thought Lily Gladstone did a good job, but there's so much other Oscar bait stuff that's been released lately that I'm kind of like, but this film was also good, and this film was also good. And, you know, it's trying to balance everything out. So, but that's a whole other thing. So. Thanks. Right. Um, I think another release that uh, was actually simultaneous. Uh, Netflix and cinema release over here, and that was uh, another author director that was uh, David Fincher um, teaming up with Michael Fassbender in The Killer. Um, I mean, Michael Fass plays a basically a, a wronged assassin, a very systematic one, but kind of portrays how he kind of like almost like a revenge story, really. Um, you saw the killer. What did you think of this, James? Did you see this? I don't know why I put my hand up to talk about this. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw. I actually saw it at cinema. I think it came out a couple of days before it was on Netflix, and I, um, I think it carries the weight of being a David Fincher film. So your expectation is very high. Obviously, Zodiac, Gone Girl, Fight Club, Seven, Social Network are amazing, amazing films. Um, um, so I mean, starting on the pros, it's great to see Michael Fassbender back. I think he was on doing a sort of like he was in a small short retirement or something. He was taking a bit of a break. So I haven't seen him in anything for a, a while. Um, and he's always good. Um, the the character he plays a hitman. He just listens. The only thing he listens to is the Smiths. So you get the the brilliant catalog of the Smiths and that that my absolute favorite song of all time is the last song that plays over the credits. But I'm not going to let that sway me in my review of the, the rest of the film. Um, and I did like the episodic nature of it as well. So it's almost like little short. They do sort of have a through line, but they're sort of broken into short short stories. There's a particular one where he goes to someone's house and he has to get past a doll. That's That sequence, that sort of short story within, I think is the highlight of the film. It's very tense and it's very well done, that, that, that sequence. Um, it's it, it sort of and the other thing I would say, I think maybe after watching the Jill Dando Netflix documentary, Jill Dando was a, a very famous TV presenter in the UK in the 90s for our international friends here. Um, and she was found um she was shot on her, her doorstep in 1999, I think it was, and there was a documentary on her recently. I in this the, the where he's kind of getting away, I I really like that section as well. It reminded me of Drive where he, you always think of, I always just think of getaway drivers as trying to outrun the cops, you know, they're trying to go really fast. And the start sequence of Drive with Ryan Gosling is him actually slowing down and pulling over and kind of trying to blend into background. I really like that when he's trying to sort of get away for, from doing a hit. That stuff I thought was really interesting. Um, and, and a little bit different from what I'd seen before. I mean, I think when this started, I thought, I'm going to hate this film. Like the first sequence, and I wouldn't, I, I'm sort of, it's very early on, so I don't know whether to spoil it, but I, I won't. I'll try not to spoil it. 
he he's talking to himself over and over again. I think I got used to that by the end of the film. But at the start, he's talking to himself for ages, and he has a clear shot on somebody, very clear shot, and he leaves it for such a long time and then cocks it up in a way where you go, is this guy meant to be an idiot then? Is that what I'm watching? And I, I don't think he is. It's like, I don't get... It's not like he's even waiting. It's not like I've got to wait for this. He has a clear shot to do something in a private situation and he leaves it and then just goes like that and shoot. It's like, you're like, what, this guy's a professional? I don't think so. This guy's a moron. Um, and, but like from there, it sort of got got a little bit better because I did start the film thinking I'm, I, this is just nonsense. Um, Tilda Swinton... Um, appears in in a sequence which i feel like if you're gonna have tilda swinton she should be in the the final story in the film but she's kind of like sort of middle end of the film in a sequence there and it and then it goes off and does some other things which by that point you think we've had the high point of the film um so i mean it, it was all right it was it was fine it, it's one of those where i've kind of forgotten or yeah. about it already it's just kind of there it's definitely i mean actually in a lesser director you might go oh this is all right but i think with david fincher you just go yeah this really isn't in your top movies and maybe it's not even in the middle i, I mean it's if you like hitman films it's all right but i mean if you want a violent sort of um thriller equalizer three was a little bit better i'd say yeah. but yeah it's yeah. what yeah. it is I think it, it it just does set it itself up for disappointment because of the pedigree of an actor and the direction you've got there. That's probably its biggest uh, hurdle. And and again, like we mentioned before, this film it really isn't about anything. As in, anything, because no. he, he's already fully formed, he is systematic. He does not really have a learning curve or anything like that. No, that that's a very good point. Actually, it's he, you're using an actor like Michael Fassbender, and this could have been anybody this could have just been a generic action thing because he doesn't go on any kind of like he keeps saying the same mantra to himself and i think that's kind of the point possibly that by the end of the film you think that thing he's saying to himself that he's i don't know actually maybe that is the learning that he's trying to learn something and can't and that's what makes him a little bit more human but it does to be honest though i'm kind of trying to attach the meaning to the film now that i'm not even sure was there it, it but, is um, yeah it does leave you like i've got yeah. you naturally you do you want to attach some kind of narrative thread or some growth or insight into it but it just doesn't let you and I, I guess it's purposeful, but uh, again, yeah. And, and the voiceover is annoying. It's not. It's not Blade Runner level. Blade Runner theatrical cut annoying. I know. I'd say that. I always say that, and I kind of like the voice. Some of the voiceover in the theatrical Blade Runner, but the, yeah. the voiceover well, in this is is, at least is more annoying actually. Again, the voiceover is not. Is basically just a mantra, really. and 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 it uh, doesn't really change, <laughs> except that he just seems to semi-retire, but then he probably. Uh, reluctantly, and that's it. I mean, it, it stops. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I think Tilda Swinton is a highlight in there again. She's the most she can, a very episodic in nature, and she pops in it. And maybe she should have come at the end where it's more of a reflection of her life. But alas, it's not. But uh, yes, I kind of feel wanting. Right. Um, moving on. Right. Uh, next. Um, Anatomy of a Four. Um, come out some quite good uh, word of mouth. Um, Richard, you saw this. Could you just yeah. give us a bit about yeah. this? I'm not really too familiar with this. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, so yeah, uh, so a French movie, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, won the Palme d'Or last year. Um, so in French, Anatomy d'une Chute, Anatomy of a Fall, uh, released internationally. Um, I just wanted to, to see it because it was the, the win of the Palme d'Or, and um, literally, that's the only reason why I went to see it, and what a great movie it was. Um, honestly, um, <laughs> in, in, I don't know who said that actually, but uh, to make a movie, you just need a good idea. And uh, that's because the movie is called Anatomy of the Fall, and that's what it is. And uh, they made a movie of two hours and a half about this. And I was talking about earlier about uh, the fact that two hours and a half could be long when you watch Napoleon or Killers of the Flower Moon. In that case, it wasn't long at all. Uh, so yeah, quickly, it's like, a, let's call it a murder mystery. Um, uh, it's a, a small family in the Alps, uh, close to Grenoble in France, and um, and you have a uh, father uh, who's French, if I'm mistaken. They live in a in a chalet, so in the Alps. You have the mother who is uh, German. Uh, so obviously, by the way, the movie is spoken 50% of the time in English, uh, even in the original version. Um, and they have always uh, <coughs> and have a son. <coughs> Sorry, who is blind? By the way. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. And who is blind? Um. Uh. So um, the movie starts, and that would be all I'm gonna say. Like the first ten minutes, uh, we start with the mother, who is a a, a, a writer, right? And uh, she's being interviewed by a student. The father is in the attic listening to some music, composing, or whatever. And the son uh, goes uh, with the, the dog uh, that he's using, obviously, because he's blind, uh, just for a walk. Uh, we've seen cuts back and forth between the son with his dog and the mother doing an, inter an interview. The student leaves after the interview ends. The student leaves the house, pass by the son, say hi, just uh, like uh, just a little high, uh, the son comes back, and he finds his father dead in front of the house, and uh, with his head uh, almost, uh, I mean, with a big injury on his head, with blood everywhere, and that's the movie how it starts literally after five ten minutes. Is that actually that's going to be a movie about did he kill himself or did the mother kill her husband? And it becomes like a, a procedural, I don't know the word, but it's like a, tri a, a trial uh, in a tribunal for two hours with the two versions fighting each other. Uh, obviously, a friend of the mother <coughs> trying, who is a lawyer trying to defend her, <coughs> sorry, and someone else trying to uh, to prove that actually she's guilty. <coughs> sorry. And, uh, and in the middle of all of this is the kids. Actually, is the in the end, it might be actually the only uh, one who can help with the case, and it becomes obviously a family uh, drama slash uh, crime drama, and it's uh, it became quite fascinating because obviously you lo you learn all the like the, the backstory of uh, of the couple and uh, you put yourself in the shoes obviously of. Of everyone else trying to figure out is this woman actually innocent or she did she do it 
Uh, I will not talk about the ending, obviously. Um, but more and more importantly, you see actually the kids is more important than you think. And uh, and in a way, you also put yourself in his shoes and how difficult it must be for him. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, as I said, it's really you are really invested in the story. I use that word a lot tonight. Uh, you're really invested in the story. You really want to know what's going on, and uh, you feel for the characters, honestly, especially the mother. Uh, great, great performance by this actress, and uh, let's hope because we talked about this in the chat that. Unfortunately, this movie will not be representing France at the Oscars, which is a terrible mistake by the French Academy. But let's hope, actually, that at least the, this actress will not be forgotten. Um, because, yeah, she's doing an amazing performance. She's, every time she's on screen, she's killing it. And another person that actually I never heard of before watching this movie. So, yeah, I recommend it recommend highly, this movie. Um, James? Uh... Yeah, I thought it was really good. I mean, Richard, did you say then it's not going to be in the contention for best yeah, it, international it, it, feature? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's another Why? movie that has been. Yeah. So okay, so it's uh, we try to put politics out of this uh this <laughs> this up this podcast. Well, that's never worked in the past, but, but yeah, but, but it's 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 very huge rumor going out in France, there's a good chance that it's because the director, the, the woman actually directed this movie, was very vocal uh, when she received the Palme d'Or in Cannes uh, ah. about, about the French government and uh, about demonstrations, etc. And she was obviously very criticizing, I mean, the, the French government. Yes, don't you, yeah. And there is... Well, uh, I mean... Sorry, and, and, and the it... French Academy, the, the, the committee actually is has a lot of links with the French government, deciding who's going to represent the country, etc. So, yeah, it's not official what I'm saying, but there's a lot of rumours going around. That, there's a lot of rumour about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that seems a bit of a an own goal to do that because it is a, re a really good movie. And there's always that thing sometimes. I mean, I think the Palme d'Or the year before was Triangle of Sadness, right, that I thought was really good. Terrible name for a movie, but that, I really like that film. Um and this, I mean, a lot of it is is in the courtroom. And I think I was with about five other people when I watched this, and there was a moment where I thought, is this going to be a bit too dry for everybody else? Because you either like a courtroom drama or you don't. You know, it's, it's one of those things, if you kind of feel like you're in a courtroom and you've got, you like that sort of stuff and you're, you're invested in the mystery. And I thought, I better get out and I'm the only person who's enjoyed this. And actually, people seem to have enjoyed it more than I did. Those courtroom scenes are really good as well because it is entirely, I just had to check, it's entirely French funded. But I didn't feel that I was watching a French film because you're right, it's about 50-50. And what they do in the courtroom scenes is the barristers are talking in French and the witness or the, the main um, character played by Sandra Huller is starts and then says my french isn't very good can i go into english because she's is she german but she's married to an englishman or, or she knows english or they're married and that that's the one language that they can both speak so she does all her testimony in english so you're only ever reading subtitles for half the time which really helps i think from from a lazy english person like me because you're only having to read half it and you feel you feel more the sort of immediacy of it but at the heart of it you've got this yeah very interesting kind of what has happened to this guy who's been found dead and there's only certain scenarios you think that can be um i think as it as it goes on as well it turns out to be more about 
the difficulty of maintaining relationships sometimes for people and the complexities of being an adult and that kind of stuff. And that's that's where I think towards the end, the payoff, what I think once you realise not just what has happened, but why it's happened really works because the film would kind of fall apart if, even if you enjoyed it for two and a half hours if you got to the end and went oh right okay they it's either not lived up to expectation with the the reveal or um, i mean i know i'm over maybe overselling it but if, if you went saying completely left the field and went haha it's it's a star wars crossover and it was obi-wan killed him you know saying out of the blue you'd be like well what what the hell it, it by the end of it you go of course it was always that of course it was always that but it, it takes you along on that that journey um, and it does it really well. It, it, there's a moment in the courtroom as well where they play some audio and because it's audio, you don't know what's happened and that uh, you sort of see it in flashback and when it cuts to a certain moment, you just hear the audio and you see the jurors going sort of not really understanding what's happening in the audio. And by the end of it, they never reveal what, what has actually happened. I think that's really good as well. There's a moment we didn't talk about with the Hunger Games at the end where something is left very ambiguous and they they stick to it. They don't go, right, we must tell you exactly what's happened because otherwise they, they, they let you sort of think it could be one way or the other. And I kind of like that. I don't, I don't feel that happens very much in films now. It's like we need to know every single detail and we need to have everything filled in for us. But I kind of really like that moment that sort of really stuck out for me it's got a really random like jazz version of a 50 cent song at the start which i was like i was like is this the original song that 50 cent sampled for pimp no they're just playing a really random and it but it plays throughout the film more than you would you would expect in flashback and stuff um but yeah really there's not been many sort of courtroom crimey type dramas and i think that's sort of the second half of the movie the other thing is there's there's a character who who becomes her lawyer, but it's one of her old friends, isn't it? Is it a college friend or something? And she seems to get on with him better than she did her husband. She seems to have a connection with him. There's a bit in the trailer where she's saying, I didn't kill him. And he says, but that's not the point. He's kind of like, I'm just here to to represent you. I'm just trying to get a not guilty verdict for you. I'm not not interested in that. Um, yeah, really, one of the best films probably of the year, I think. Yeah. Really good. Thanks for that. Um, thanks. Um, and Andrew, you've got some uh, releases that will be heading our way in the next year. Um, Andrew? I don't know if they've been released in the UK yet, but uh, they're they're pretty good, so I just wanted to mention them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew gets everything before we do, so... Uh, yeah, I guess because of Oscar rules, so they have to be released by a certain date in order to be eligible, but not necessarily through the whole US, just somewhere in the US, generally where the Academy members live. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, the films I've seen, one is the uh, Priscilla Presley biopic, uh, simply called Priscilla. Uh, and this is her story. It's not a movie about Elvis Presley. It's a movie about someone he was married to. I mean, it's her story. Elvis is a major character, but it's really from her perspective. Uh, okay, okay, yeah. So uh, I guess it has to be eligible for you know Oscars and all that. So that's be released already here. Anyway, that's a whole other story. So that film, uh, Priscilla, it's about Priscilla. 
uh, Boliu, I believe that's her, her maiden name, um, before she became Priscilla Presley. Yes, directed by Sofia Coppola. Uh, good film. Uh, again, I just want to mention again, it's her story. Uh, I say this because uh, in order to uh, get the rights to use Elvis Presley music in a film, you have to get permission from his estate or whatever that is. And Sofia Coppola and her team weren't allowed to use his music for the film, uh, which is kind of, you know, maybe an unusual choice for a lot of people to do an Elvis film without his music. But it's not, again, not his story. So his songs get mentioned, but you don't hear his music. You hear music by other artists, but not his music. They didn't get the rights to it. So it's kind of an interesting thing to do that. Again, it wasn't the filmmaker's decision to do that. It was just the way it worked out. Still a good film. Just wanted to put that out there in terms of, you know, if we're expecting certain things going into a film about that family. Uh, so you see things, again, her perspective, and you realize, oh, this wasn't the greatest guy in the world. It may sound like, why is that a big deal? But because... Here's the thing: people put him up on a pedestal, you know, and yeah, you still see, yeah, you know, stuff in his background and all. But yeah, you know, from her perspective, he was kind of, kind of a jerk at times. And I'm not going to give away spoilers. I know it's based on true story, but I thought it was a, a pretty, pretty decent film. And the actress who plays Priscilla, Kyleen Spanny. I don't know how to pronounce her name, but uh, she does a good job playing uh, Priscilla from the age of I think 14 till uh, her late 20s. So, you know, and, and she manages to pull it off. So, uh, And another film I saw that was good was The Holdovers. I think that's also something that's going to be talked about uh, come Oscar time. Uh, not sure about any kind of international release date because it's not something that's like a big blockbuster, but it's a film about some people who are okay. That's a UK release date. Uh, it's uh, some people who are kind of staying back at a uh, boarding school, uh, not not university level, but more like like high school level, I guess, secondary school. And so they're at a boarding school. They're away from their families, but then they go back to their families during. You know, Christmas time, but some people don't get an opportunity to do that. So those people are kind of referred to as the holdovers. And one of the teachers at the school has to stay behind with them. In this case, that teacher is played by Paul Giamatti. And it's it's a really good film. There's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of issues that are dealt with. Uh, one of the staff at the school is, uh, I guess, the kitchen staff, the person runs the kitchen. Uh, you find out about her backstory and or her story uh, going to the film, and and she's a really good performance uh, by uh, Divine Randolph. Um, also, the one of the students who stands out can't remember the actor's name, but but he's really good. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't want to give away spoilers, but it's it's a really good film, and you should check it out uh, when it gets released. I guess January nineteenth in the UK. And uh, then I saw another film just very, very recently called American Fiction. 
Uh, also something that's talked about during Oscars. I guess it's going to be released before the end of the year in the U.S. Uh, to be eligible for that awards and all. Uh, it's Jeffrey Wright uh, as a university professor who uh, is trying to write a book. And again, I don't want to say too much more because of spoilers, but it is trying to give commentary about uh, race in the U.S. Uh, oh, wow, February 2nd. Okay. Uh, because I guess the idea is that stories about people of uh, African-American background uh, kind of get pigeonholed or put into different categories like, oh, they live in the, the hood or lower income or issues about slavery and racism. And, and those are all important stories. But the idea is that there's a lot more stories you could do with where the character just happens to be of African-American background and not necessarily put it into one of those specific categories. So um, you may have seen some of the trailers for it. I'll say that the movie itself is a little bit more serious. There are humorous moments, satirical moments, but uh, particularly early on in the film, some stuff happens that's a little bit more serious nature. So uh, just keep that in mind going in, uh, regardless of if you've seen the trailer or whatever. Uh, so those are some good films that I saw that were, that were good. And, uh, you know, there is stuff at the cinema that's that's really good. You mentioned some of it, uh, and then I mentioned some of it. So it's not just you know the blockbusters, which can be good too. I'm just saying that there's more variety. Than that, so, oh. Oh, thanks, Andrew, for that. Uh, okay, well, thanks everyone for joining. I think that's quite a good roundup of what we had the last uh, month or so. And until next time, we'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed this film and TV review.com episode. Catch the latest film and TV reviews, together with regular episode content from the world of film and TV every week. See you soon. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today.